We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey, e-commerce sellers, are you hoping to have a terrific Q4? If so, this episode is for you. We're about to break down a simple plan designed to help you have the easiest and most lucrative Q4 in your business history. Michael, are you ready to have a fantastic Q4? Absolutely. I, I love the positioning of this. We're, we're not unambitious with that title. So uh, I'm looking forward very much to hearing how to do that. Absolutely critical. Well, Before hey, we get yeah. into that, I just want to uh, quickly talk to you about something that we've been brewing up behind the scenes, because I know that we're going to be going into our what we're calling our new season three from October or sort of autumn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about the plans. Well, season three is going to start for the e-commerce leader. You know, we've been doing these in in uh, these kind of long seasons. We had a great first season. This is going to be uh, the you know wrap up of our second season soon. I get we're ending soon, and then we'll be cutting over to season three. And we're really excited about a couple components of it. We wanted to mention the first one is we're going to weave in a new format with new co-hosts. And so, if you're not familiar, a call-in tool called the call-in app then we're going to start using it. We're going to do call-in episodes, and then we will weave them into the e-commerce leader podcast as just an you know additional uh, episode. So we'll continue to do what we're doing now, but we'll have these co-hosted call-in episodes that we'll start to weave in as well. And our co-hosts are going to be Chris Green and Kyle Hamer. And so Chris is going to start joining us. Kyle's going to start joining us, and we'll have roundtable discussions on e-commerce topics, of course. And so we're really excited about that. We're also going to start to lean in more and more to user-generated comments, feedback, and questions. So we're going to have tools on the website to collect people's uh, questions and topics. And then in the call-in show, we'll see how it goes. We, we might even just bring people into the show. We'll see, you know, kind of playing that out. We'll see how it weaves together. But we're really excited about that format. We're excited to have Chris Green join us as a, a co-host for the e-commerce leader. It's going to take it to the next level. If you're not familiar with him, he is sort of the the godfather of retail arbitrage in a lot of ways. And so, and Kyle Hamer is an Amazon selling expert and my business partner in our business. So there you have it. That's season three, man. What do you think about it? Yeah, very excited. I mean, obviously, I, I know uh, both Chris and Green, Chris and Green, let me try it again, Chris and Kyle <laughs> quite well. <laughs> Kyle from our coaching work in the past and Chris I've had on the podcast at, at Amazing FBA two or three times with very different business models each time. He's he's a man who keeps ahead of the cutting edge. So he's not just about arbitrage. Mm -hmm. He's done obviously a lot of Kindle publishing and in your conferences, he's talks about that. So yeah, it'll be a really fantastic sort of brains trust, I think. I'm really yep. looking forward to getting some real deep insights there. So uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff. And obviously we'll keep you informed if you're listening as to how to interact because that's the missing piece from podcasting, right? I love podcasting mm -hmm. as, as mm -hmm. a medium myself, as a listener of, of all things, but the lack of interaction has always been a problem. So hopefully mm -hmm. we can dive into that. So we better get on with uh, Q4 planning because it's nearly upon us. And uh, it's obviously a really critical topic. I know that you've come in in the past with the 10K Collective Mastermind and we had a mm -hmm. special session where mm -hmm. you came in as a guest and worked with the Mastermind members who are doing you know six seven even some cases come coming on towards eight figures 
and you had a very good annual planning process. So mm-hmm. I guess the Q4 planning is a bit of a smaller version of the same things. Is that right? I mean, how do we go about the, the, the process of setting that sort of shorter but very intense arc? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And so I, for context, for, for me, I, I think that this time of year is always when if you've done e-commerce selling for a while, you know, you know, Q4 is coming and you're really starting to think through and many people do it even earlier, you know, you're working on Q4 and, you know, the summertime or something like that. But, but for us, now is the time where we're really getting our battle plan sorted out. So in this podcast recording, we're going to share five simple steps to really get the Q4 put together of your dreams, let's call it. (laughs) And uh, that means it's lucrative, best ever in terms of income, and it's simple to execute on. And that's, that's, those would be the two, uh, the frameworks. So the five steps we'll walk through, but the first one is, is, is very simple. And that is get goal clarity. And it sounds simple, but obviously taking the time away from your business, going to 10,000 or 30,000 feet view and asking yourself some important strategic questions about the goals is sort of the starting point. Cinnamon and I did that this last week. We, we have different traditions we do around planning and and goal setting work. And so we went out to a little restaurant called the Black Diamond Cafe, did an early lunch and sat there for hours talking about Q4 and creating a clear, you know, kind of a process for getting after uh, our goals. And so, so that's the first bit of it. I've, I've got, uh, you know, a few questions here, like five questions you could ask yourself to get clear on your goals. But Michael, what are your thoughts on that as sort of the first step? Yeah, I think it's really, really important before you do stuff, as in take actions in your business, that you're clear about why you're doing them. And it sounds such an obvious thing to say, but it's incredibly easy under the pressures of operational day-to-day, week-to-week, even month-to-month, to not even think about why you're doing stuff. You're doing it because you've been doing it or because it feels necessary. So I think it's really, really important to get goal clarity. And it's surprisingly hard. It's kind of answering the question, yeah. what do I want? But actually, it's not easy to answer the question, what do I really want in my experience? So I think that's an excellent start. So yeah, what, what are your, Absolutely. what do you find are the things that you need to fight the most for goals? You know, it's it's surprisingly difficult, as you said. I mean, <laughs> it's like some of this stuff you would think is easy, but then when you really start to get clear, it, it can be a challenge. I would say, you know, here are, you know, four or five questions you could ask yourself. And here's a framework where you know you've got it clear and it's a one sentence goal. And so let me let me pose four or five questions here and then I'll give you the uh, the goal statement. First question is uh you know what was your overall revenue by product and by pr- platform in prior Q4s and go back as far as you want. So you know one of the ways you might structure this is if you're an Excel nerd, you know break out a new Excel spreadsheet and and call it your Q4 2021 or whatever you're planning. If you're more of a notes journalist type person, take a notebook out and and get after this and answer these questions. So the first one, what's your overall revenue by product and by platform? Second question is what was your profit by product and platform in prior Q4s? Third question is your pricing in prior Q4s. And then fourth question is, what challenges or problems did you have in prior Q4s that you want to avoid? And then what constraints or obstacles in prior Q4s that you want to overcome this year? And then you could go from there. I mean, ask yourself as many questions as you want to get real clear. You'll know you're clear when you can have one sentence that says something like this. My Q4 goal is to make X amount by selling Y number of products on 
Z platforms. So for example, my Q4 goal is to make $200,000 selling five products on Amazon, eBay, and my own Shopify site. If you can write your goal that concisely, then you're really off to the great start in terms of getting clarity on what you want to do in Q4. Nice. I, I think in the end, a lot of the revenue side of things breaks down to number of units times price per unit. And that's mm-hmm. kind of obvious, but it's good to get that bigger picture rather than just let it kind of drift along and be dictated by the market. So I really like the fact that you're, you've got revenue goals, profit goals, and pricing goals. The one question that strikes me is obviously you're referring to prior Q4. So for any established business, which is, I suppose, mostly who we're geared, the, the e-commerce leader to what we have done so far, yeah, that makes sense. What do we do if we haven't got prior Q4 data of our own? How do we go about creating some, nevertheless, something that is informed by past yep. trends? Yeah, obviously your your um, key data set is the prior Q4 if you have it because that's the most appropriate seasonally. But if you don't have it, then you just use a prior data set that you have. If you've only sold for one month, look at your prior month data set. If you sold for you know Q1, Q2, uh, and you're in Q3 right now, then look at the you know first you know six months of the year. Um, you're looking at your data set to ask yourself these questions, and they're all relevant. The only question then which would be the variable is how does your product and and you know all the details work in uh, q4 versus just a normal time of the year and some businesses you know everybody's unique some businesses will be like oh I, i don't really have a q4 that's different than q3 or q2 other businesses are highly seasonal and then just wintertime season in north america uh, or you know europe other businesses are are highly q4 Christmas focused, giving focused. And so you, those are the seasonality elements you want to think through. And so you do what, what you can with what you have in terms of data. I think the key thing to suss out here is some of the qualitative outcome, not just quantitative. And what I mean by that is you want to reflect back and say to yourself, what happened last year that was amazing that I was surprised by? And how can I do more of that? And what was a total nightmare that I want to avoid? You know, I mean, just, just at a, operational level, where there products or s- platforms that were total disasters for you. And you want to remember those things and say to yourself, oh, yeah, I forgot this product gets, you know, so many returns, we can't handle it. And I need to just totally <laughs> do something different or or whatever. I mean, maybe you have lessons from prior years that you want to refresh and remind yourself of and weave into your goals. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I think that qualitative reflection thing is is something we all naturally do, but we tend to do it emotionally mm-hmm. at a particular point, and as in we all get stressed and shout at staff or argue with your partner. But the thing to to make space to reflect on. Hmm. So you know that day where you screamed at everyone in the warehouse and operations mm-hmm. and our warehouse mm-hmm. broke down. Let's analyze why that happened so we don't repeat that this year. And it's a very, very good idea to build that in. I like that a lot. It's not just numbers, in other words. I like that. The other couple of things that strike me about what you said is having profit goals as well as revenue goals, I think are really, really critical. I I think uh, it's so much harder to measure profit that it's very tempting to just default to revenue goals and think, oh, we'll sort out profit afterwards. But I think that's a total disaster. If you're selling on Amazon during Q4, you could spend so much money on PPC, you'd be throwing money away without even realizing it. So I I really think that's a very critical piece. It's a disaster, as you described, because if you really do a good P&L statement and look back on your your profit by product and channel, the, the goal here is not just work. The goal is smart work. The yeah. goal is to eliminate bad work. So, yeah. for example, uh, just as a, as a practical example, if you have a product that you sold a lot of last year, 
but it made you no profit, then if it's not a lead generator for you, if it like if it doesn't lead to additional selling of a different product or it doesn't lead to customer data acquisition or you know some some good goal, then you know the first question would be why are you doing it? You either have to make it profitable this Q4 or you cut cut it loose. And you know so these are the things you want to think through. If you can you know ideally make maximum money from minimum products and minimum customers, <laughs> then that is the efficiency goal that you're after. You know, fewest SKUs possible, maximum price possible, you know, for and the fewest customers possible to fulfill your dream revenue and income goals. That's the the thinking you want to put into this. So it's not just about what you want to do, it's about what you want to eliminate. Yeah. I really like that a lot. I think that's an emotional discipline. I know people who've been Mm -hmm. in business literally generations or three, five years or whatever that have a sort of inherited from themselves a legacy of products. And they just sell more because they buy unconsciously. I think they buy into Amazon's driver, which is, you know, particularly if you sell on Amazon, but not only that, Google wants lots of results for its, you know, searches and Amazon absolutely wants to be the everything store, but it's not necessarily relevant in any way, shape or form to your outcomes as a business owner. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. here's the other reflection I would say, if you are tying up capital in stock, even if it makes something of a profit and it moves, but somewhat slowly, you are Mm -hmm. going to go at almost put a huge amount of money on the fact you are going to go out of stock by definition on your best sellers because they Mm -hmm. sell well, the clues in the title and you will lose so much money in terms of opportunity cost. In my experience, every single Q4, I've spoken to a lot of serious sellers for a number of years in a row about their Q4 analysis in January and every single one of them without fail will mention the product that made so much money and then they ran out of stock and it went Mm -hmm. to zero. Right. And that money being tied up in in mediocre or even quite good products is the enemy of the great products. And I just cannot stress enough how uh important that discipline is of elimination you just mentioned mm-hmm. I, yeah i think you're 100 percent right on that absolutely yeah. right yeah okay great all right so that's the that's the the uh you know goal goal step and then we go beyond that and we do a deep dive and uh, step two is a focus on your product strategy mm. and so we've just uh, articulated some of that but the focus here is what product offerings are you going to you know uh, bring into q4 and that you can sell at scale and you want to eliminate or minimize work on non-essential products. And, you know, part of having a rational, logical Q4 is focus and getting uh, your time on, you know, under, under control. Uh, So questions to ask yourself, what was your most profitable product and can you sell more of it? What's your best selling product and how can you increase the margin in it? What's your biggest pain in the butt product? And can you live without it? Do you have an opportunity to launch a new product? And how are you going to do that launch? And then the final question is, do you need to hold product in reserve to ensure you don't run out through the duration of Q4 to your point a moment ago? So these are the kinds of questions you want to camp on. And again, with the object of elimination as well as addition and and management of the current. And this is an opportunity to really uh, to get clear on you know, what's happening inside your business at the product level. The famous example, of course, is Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple and they had, I don't even remember what it was, but like it was hundreds of products. And he drew a four quadrant grid on a whiteboard and said, this is our new product lineup. It was like a laptop for personal, a laptop for corporate. I don't remember what the two other boxes. Uh, a desktop for you know. It's like so. It's like so simple, and that was how he started back in 1999 or whenever it was. Yeah. Um, and 
the the rest is history. But it was a very clear focus. And the reason for that is because it allows every part of your system to be optimized around that specific outcome. I like the idea that mental focus is something you have to take account of. I think you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It's very weird how... I think it's a legacy of corporate culture that we, most of us, you know, grew up as in, at some point in our work lives. It, you've obviously spent years in, in that. I, I've sort of touched yeah. on it, which is two things. Number one, doing stupid things that, that feel like more work than they're worth doing mm-hmm. is just standard if you're an employee anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's true for CEOs, by the way, that yeah. I know some major companies and it's true for the, you know, the lower down the ladder thing. But we don't have to do that as entrepreneurs or owners of our own businesses. And I think we forget that. We are allowed to cut swathes of things that don't make sense. And yeah. that's that's the first thing. So the biggest pain in the butt product might financially on paper make sense, which is my second point, which is we don't mm-hmm. have to just be robotic because mm-hmm. we have our operational cells with sweating and swearing and can't sleep at night. Yeah. And then we have our sort of analytical cells that sit down with the spreadsheet and, and we need to come back and kind of mm-hmm. join the dots. And I think the value yeah. of kicking out a product that makes money, but is a nightmare is very, very high. Actually, I really like the fact you're giving us permission to do that. Yeah, uh, that's really important. Great question just popped in from one of the live viewers uh, of the show. And that is uh, for retail arbitragers and people who do replins or replenishable items selling uh, in Q4. Is it a, a good thing to focus on toys because it's holiday gift giving, you know, people are looking for specific toys or on more replenishable long term evergreen items? And the answer is, if you're running a retail arbitrage business, then you're running a portfolio business of uh, a set of products and you have to decide how much time and energy you have to spend on one-off toys that are popular for the year and bird dogging them. But if you're going to be in large box stores, Walmart, Target, uh, Walgreens, wherever it is, and the toys are there and you're already sourcing for replens, then doing extra scans, taking the time to identify what toys are hot. You know, there are people who make whole lists of the hot seasonal toys. If you can arbitrage those out on Amazon or on eBay, then of course you've got the opportunity to do that. So I would just say it's both and, and it really depends on the mix of, you know, your replens business and how strong into it you are and how much time you spend on it. And then how much margin you have for something that would be a more short-term win, like a, you know, a toy that's super hot, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, good. So coming back to this framework you've got then, so the third step, what's yeah. what's the next thing? Yep. Third thing is you want a pricing strategy. Examine your pricing and determine if a price increase is possible and if so, how much and when you'd want to execute on it. So additionally, you want to do any uh, promotional pricing strategy. When you're going to do discounting, when you're going to mark things down, what your battle plan is going to be if you're not getting sales velocity that you wanted. You want to really think through your Q4 at a pricing level and create a plan for that. The uh, The opportunity here is really to create margin for yourself and to you know turn products that are marginal in terms of any profit you make on them into profitable products. Or if you've got a super hot product, to really think through what your appropriate price positioning is compared to your competitors. I just I went to breakfast yesterday morning with my mentor. And one of the things he mentioned was he just went around to his competitors and he looked at all their pricing and he tuned up his pricing. And I was like, oh, yep, 
it's time to do that. <laughs> he just, you know, he does it uh, systematically for his business. And I, we have not done that in our businesses uh, systematically as he does. And that's why he's my mentor. So you want to do that same exercise. You want to say to yourself, what's the industry telling me about the appropriate price for these products that I'm selling. And, you know, it's an inflationary period right now in world economics. And so the question is, what's the appropriate price? I think you, just as a mental tip, need to de-value judgment this, if that's a phrase, de-value judgment it. Just look at the math and just do what is appropriate in terms of price points compared to what your competitors are doing and what you think is, you know, kind of in line with your approach to them. And if that means, you know, a specific percentage of increase or whatever, then execute on that and figure out when you're going to execute on it. So there you go. And I've got a list of questions here. You can ask yourself about that as well. But what are your thoughts on pricing management and strategy? I think it's really key. I think one of the things that has emerged from conversation with one of the, with probably an eight figure seller now annually that works for the mastermind is that they do operate quite a dynamic pricing strategy relative Mm -hmm. to most people. It's, it's still done on the spreadsheet. And I'm not sure that I buy that as an operational way of doing it. There's an extremely good company that's really developing very sophisticated tools now called eva.guru and i'm working with them to try and fine tune the tunes to the needs of of amazon sellers in the uk now and they practice dynamic pricing but either which way whether you do it Mm -hmm. manually or it's artificial intelligence engine that is genuinely learns as opposed to most rule-based systems however you achieve it the level of price sensitivity is probably less than you imagine and that's even without taking key for into account where prices tend to rise sometimes rapidly Mm -hmm. uh, as people get closer to the day and panic they haven't bought the, the products and without as you say taking account of the inflationary thing so if you add those three things together you, you may well find that q4 plus the inflationary environment plus generally your underestimation of the fri- price flexibility depending on the market mm-hmm. might mean that you end up raising quite a lot of prices quite a lot yeah. and that might feel kind of alarming and i think you need to do a rational analysis, but have the courage to follow through on your analysis rather than just assuming it has to always be cheaper, cheaper, mm-hmm. particularly on Amazon. That's generally been the case, but I don't mm-hmm. think it necessarily has to be. Yeah, I think the other um, interesting part of this is just to know what what the smart kids do yeah. in terms of strategic price management vis-a-vis inventory counts. So mm-hmm. when you do your pricing increases is is interesting, isn't it? Because for example, you might be counterintuitive. And as you go into Q4, have your price be like, if you did a high, medium and low range of appropriate price for a product, you might go into Q4 with your price, you know, really high compared to relative uh, to competition so that you don't run out of stock. 100%. Yeah. And then when your competition runs out of stock, you go from high to, to ultra high. Yes. Absolutely because, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> By the way, that single statement you've just said there, if people take that on board and actually have the courage to do it, could make you so much more profits mm-hmm. and revenue. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing that strikes me, you can always lower the price and the stock will generally flow out quicker. But if once you're out of stock, you're out. That's absolute. You can't rate, you can't tweak the price once you have no stock. So if in doubt, I think you're so right to start with a high price. And, you, you know, if you're going to rank your products, do it when it's cheaper, Q1, 2, 3, mm-hmm. then try and rank your products in Q4. If you're not ranking yeah. very well for a keyword, but on the other hand, you were going to run out of stock anyway, your yeah. price is still too low. And that's the thing that people are so, they've been taught on, on Amazon, but also on Google and other platforms to play the ranking game so much that they they forget you're in business to make profit. It doesn't really right. matter if you're on, Q, on page two, yeah. if you're 
selling 10 units a day and you've only got enough stock for the next 60 days. That's- yeah, th- this is a, such a central topic. I, I have an ebook on Amazon. I just the thought comes in my mind that it might be a good resource for people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 13 pricing principles. One of them is that seasonality or timing creates pricing power. And the 13 pricing principles all are about creating, creating pricing power. And so, yeah, you know, to, to this point, you know, the, the new novice person would come into Q4, have their price be high and not see a lot of sales velocity and think to themselves, I need to lower my price. They might actually end up doing that just at the optimally bad time, you know, where, where they're, you know, their competitors are about to go out of stock and they're about to be the only game in town when they should be raising their price. They're lowering pr- their yeah. price. The worst thing possible in this is to do the exact opposite of correct at the worst time. And so yeah. this is why experience matters. And um, you want to think through these things ahead of time. So you're not just doing it emotionally or, you know, at yeah. 1130 at night, you're, you're not, you're not yeah. working on this stuff or, you know, yeah. at 5am in the morning, you know, on Thanksgiving or something like that, you're working on your pricing battle plan. You just, you just don't want to do it that way. You want to think through it ahead of time. You know? Absolutely. And again, to the point of why is Q4 planning important? I think you put your finger on it to, to pre- you know, to see ahead of time those moments where if you didn't make a plan, you just panic and you'd yeah. be reactive as opposed to sometimes you need to do the absolute opposite. It's a bit like racing driving. I guess you've got to plan in advance that when you turn mm-hmm. into a corner, apparently you, you've got to do various counterintuitive things when you're driving at 180 miles an hour, which includes turning into corners you would normally turn out of and kind of things that feel weird at the time. You have to plan for that mentally so that you're trained yourself to do the right thing. And that's mm-hmm. a very good, important point. Yeah. The other general point from this that I think is just critical to get is this it's really simple on paper and it's easy to say and it's really hard to do in practice but an an critical skill stock management and pricing are two sides of the exact same coin and if you think as a marketing led person and you think in terms of you know profit and pricing and and ranking and you divorce your thinking from stock management you are going to lose a ton of money relative Mm -hmm. to what you could have said because you'll be out of stock if on the other hand, and it's very uncommon, but you could be stock obsessed and not thinking about selling opportunities as well. I've not actually come across that, but either which way, they have to be two sides of the same coin. And really, again, like either I don't bang on about one particular tool, but it's it's the one tool I've seen out there that will dynamically, it only works for Amazon sellers at the moment, it's not multi-channel, but it will dynamically adjust pricing to maximize for profit, including the fact that if you run out of stock, you make zero profit. So mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. really, whether you do it manually or through a tool, those two are, are two sides of the same coin and yeah. you need to adjust your price in order to think about sales velocity based on your stock including the lead times that are, are super long at the moment as well so yeah. there's a real art and the science that goes into that i think yeah totally right and just to tie this off to the you know to the prior point of, of product strategy you do you could be in a situation where you have dead inventory mm-hmm. and you know in in those situations if you've got dead inventory then this product and pricing go together and you you sometimes you want to solve those problems as well in Q4 and you know if dead inventory and by that I mean inventory you just can't move at any price point just it, it isn't working then yeah. you want to think through what what's your what's your uh, approach to that dead inventory whether it's in Amazon's warehouse which you'd be paying for or somewhere in your own warehouse garage back bedroom or wherever is literally cash not recouped and the opportunity to recoup that cash is central. So, for example, you got dead inventory. Could you in Q4 create a bundle product where you put your dead inventory nobody wanted as a free gift to your best-selling item and get rid of it that way and make a new kitted 
uh, product that you sell? Can you just literally, you know, reposition pricing wise your dead inventory and get it rid of it at any cost and recoup the cash and just write it off? Just be like, I don't care. I I paid fifty thousand dollars for this. I cannot sell it. I just will get anything back out of this that I can. Uh, so I'm gonna, you know, sell it sell it all at, at a loss, but I'm gonna get ten grand in my pocket. You know, these are the types of things you want to think about with your product and your pricing, Absolutely and uh, and go that. from there. Yeah, yeah, and. All of these things, by the way, are true in any retail form of business, whether it's 1890s and your Sears selling via the railroad or whether it's now. But um, one massive thing you've got to bear in mind if you're on Amazon is that uh, the opportunity cost for your business is an opportunity cost for Amazon to FBA warehouses. So if they've got dead stock in there, they're not just going to charge you you know, more money like they traditionally do. They're going to penalize you very, very, very heavily. They may affect your ability to sell your best selling products. And it's happening all the time at the moment. Yeah. If you've got, if you've managed your other products poorly. So Amazon will, it seems kind of like, you know, cutting off the head to nose to spite the face or something, but they will shut down effectively your ability to sell or minimize your ability to sell mm-hmm. or stock or fulfill really great products. Not only does that mean that you've lost a huge selling opportunity, but if you now have to use a third-party warehouse and do merchant fulfilled, merchant fulfilled is going to kill your selling opportunities because it's not prime unless you've done seller fulfilled prime. And there's an extra cost. So that when you really well add up the knock-on effects of allowing dead inventory to sit in an Amazon FBA warehouse, it's just huge. And by the way, I think it's a good discipline they're enforcing on us anyway. In the short term, everyone's hating it. I totally get that. But in the medium term, you shouldn't have it there anyway. You you must be ruthless. I guess is one theme that's emerging. Might be ruthless eliminating things that need elimination. So Amazon's forcing that discipline on us now, I think. Yeah, totally agree. And so, so there you have it. The questions for pricing, I didn't read them, I don't think, but here they are. So should you raise your prices as a strategic move to sell less and stay in stock for the duration of Q4 selling season? So we already talked about that one. Uh, second question would be, what will the impact of a 10% price increase be on your various products? Can you make the most profitable products even more profitable? And by the 10% increase, I mean on your, you know, do a what they call it a pro forma, P&L. So, so a future forecasted profit and loss statement. You should have the time and energy right now to do that for Q4. Create a pro forma P&L and say to yourself, what would happen if I sold all of this at 10% higher or 25% higher? And what what happens to the bottom line to my net profit? You want to focus on net profit in my view and really think through, you know, how do I get out of Q4 with not just a lot of work and a lot of sales, but a lot of money and a manageable amount of work. And so there you go. So that's the those are the pricing questions. Yeah. Really, really great question. I think one thing to bear in mind is the structure of the profits over the course of a year. It's not only the, the best selling time in Q4 for a lot of people. And by the way, if you sell a gardening products, your Q4 is effectively Q2, I think. And the, the yeah. same yeah. same thing applies. You can take this and plan ahead now for Q2. So just to be clear, if you've got seasonality that's different from this, there's no different um, approach, in my opinion, anyway. But the other thing is that not only is, mo- say, 50% of your revenue on average, I think, made in Q4, but something like a bigger percentage of your profits may be made as well. So if you don't take profits in Q4, you're at risk of missing out when you have pricing power. And as you say, in Q1, you may not have the pricing power anymore. If you're selling you know, toys yeah. in January the 1st, they kind of sit there looking a bit sad and lonely in retail stores sometimes, don't they? Absolutely right. And you know, to your point, Black Friday was the old phrase for you know the, the time of year where brick and mortar retailers 
you know, started to make money. Am I right on my history on that? I mean, this is when people started to traditionally make, make a profit. Well, you need to be running your business. So you're making a profit, you know, every quarter. But let me just say this. If you think through a Q4 battle plan and do a pro forma, you know, you, you might do your profit and loss statement through, you know, the end of, you know, August, let's say we're, we're in September right now. And just think about what would happen is if you had a Q4 that was outsized profits. I mean, literally your, your business profit for the full year could be doubled mm. uh, easily because yeah. a lot of times, you know, profits, ju- you don't, they don't materialize uh, until the full year accounting occurs clearly. But if you want to think through, you know, what the full P&L would look like if, if an excellent Q4 happened for you, that might be a good motivator, you know, and clarifier. So anyway, there you go. Really yeah. agree. A lot of uh, well-run e-commerce businesses I know run at about a 10% pre-tax profit. So if you increase your prices by 10% during that period when you got average increased 10% prices, if my math is right, you've doubled your profit. That's not yeah. a small, small difference. It's just huge. Price, <laughs> I mean, price increase drop straight to the bottom line on your P&L. There is no incremental expense associated. So it's pure profit. Every yeah. 1% <laughs> just literally increases the percentage of net profit you'll extract from your business. That's the simplest form of, you know, forecasting you can do because, you know, you're not selling any more additional units. You don't have any more staff costs. You don't have any more computer costs or, you know, no gas, you know, charges for driving somewhere. You literally just have a new amount that drops straight to the bottom line. So there you go. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. And and the difference between that and selling more products is when you sell more products, you're going to have to buy more products. So that is a cash flow implication. Right. And the other thing I'd say about that is there is huge pressure without even realizing it unconsciously in the entire game is geared to getting us to sell more units because yes. that's how Amazon makes money, or for that matter, anyone in, in that game. If Google Shopping is getting more clicks on their ads, they, they get more money. Right. We have to resist yeah. that and think about the profits, which is the other theme that's emerging here. Okay, well, these are really powerful things, man. F- fantastic thoughts. What's the next thing we need to think through? Hey, folks, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The E-Commerce Leader. I think Planning is not a sexy word, but it is underrated in terms of the power it has. And I think that a few things emerge for me from today's discussion. The first thing is to think in terms of quarters rather than the next week or even month is a healthy discipline. It's more actionable, it's more immediate than an annual plan, which is also a very good thing to do. And we've talked about that in the past. And I think Jason's got a real knack for simplifying this big, complex thing down to a few simple questions. And uh, as ever, if you want to get the show notes, go to theecommerceleader.com and we'll give you some detailed notes there. But a few things that strike me. First of all, having a plan means that when, you know, the stuff hits the fan, to put it politely, you'll find that uh, instead of reacting in a panicked wave, you've seen that possibility coming before you'll have a strategy and a plan. I think that's really, really important. The second thing is having a plan gives you a base from which to improvise. The the Marines say you improvise adapt and overcome but having spoken to uh, a couple of ex-marines who sell on amazon then they, they say well yeah you shouldn't fall in love with your plan but you've got to have one in the first place so if you think that this is a bit too chaotic a q4 to plan for i would urge you to think again a couple of things that emerges from today i think the first thing is um 
this whole goal clarity question is really important. If you don't have clear goals, then you do stuff because you've already done it, always done it, possibly for years, and it may not be serving you and your business very well. So that's a really great uh, hint from Jason. And I think the profit and pricing goals are just as important as revenue. It's easy to see revenue, but I think it's important to have a little bit more sophisticated goals than revenue. Otherwise, um, you're just going to give your money away to Amazon if you're not careful. The second thing is having a really clear profit strategy. And again, the thing that struck me really the most is the question of what's your biggest pain in the butt product and can you live without it? Sometimes it's what you eliminate, as Jason put across so clearly today. And I, I could not agree more. And the other thing is what's your most profitable product and how you can sell more of it. The other thing that's coming up again and again is staying in stuck staying in stock i should say with your main best sellers is going to necessitate sometimes having less stock or even selling through or stopping selling your less good sellers and that's a really difficult discipline that's the sunk cost kind of fallacy that comes up all the time isn't it when you spent years developing a product it's very easy to be too in love with it and you don't want to kill your darlings and i think you have to be willing to do that so those are some of the the principal things that struck me today i think this is sort of episode it's worth going back through with a pen and paper and just literally writing in a notebook of some kind and, and asking these very simple but intelligent insightful questions that jason's given us and just make a list and then sit down with your team or if you're a solopreneur, go through it maybe with a consultant or a coach or maybe reflect on it in a mastermind. Some form of reflective process is going to be really, really helpful here. I think you'll find. So I hope that was useful stuff. Uh, for me, I think it was, as usual, very good Jason Miles classic, which is to say really strong, powerful questions, but in a nice, simple, absorbable framework, classic stuff. If you are liking the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you are on Apple Podcasts and you can give us a rating out of five stars, that would be really fantastic. Obviously, a review, as in a written sort of commentary on the podcast, would be even better, but a rating is fine. It just helps people discover the podcast. And stay tuned if you haven't been subscribed before because we've got some new and exciting content coming up in our third season, uh, including Chris Green and Kyle Hamer. So Chris Green, a big, big no noise in the Amazon space. And Kyle has a, also a very big Amazon experience and expertise in coaching alongside Jason. So lots of reasons to stay subscribed. Stay tuned for more about Q4 planning. In the meanwhile, just remains for me to say thank you so much for listening to The E-Commerce Leader. That was The E-Commerce Leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.TheEcommerceLeader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.